All right, y'all, it's Wednesday, and today we will be talking about no justice, no peace. So here's the thing, you know, there's so much going on right now in the world, so much in terms of poverty, in terms of the oppression, the police brutality, all of it. But how far are we really willing to go to attain what we should have had before? I mean, this should be a past tense conversation. You know, reparations should be past tense. We should be talking right now in terms of, you know, yeah, man, I remember when we got our settlement, you know, we was able to get back our land. We was able to start that business, stuff like that. But that's not what we see happening at all, right? Instead, um, if anything, it's quite the opposite. Instead, we're seeing the poor people pay more now than ever. Why is that? You know, you ever ask yourself, you know, what's causing this cycle of oppression to be maintained? Well, let me tell you something. When black and brown people come together and organize, the government gets real, real nervous, right? Because that is the joining of the worlds right there. For lack of a better way to put that. Um, that is us coming together and saying, you know what? We had enough and we're not doing it anymore. Yes, that's what that is. That's us, you know, saying we are not going to accept this foolishness anymore, right? So the question on the table is, you know, how far are you all willing to go to get freedom? And what does that mean to you? You know, um, what does that look like? What does that entail? You know, you tell me. What does that look like? What does freedom look like to you? What does that mean in 2023? Now, I'm asking this question because, you know, there are people who are not very fond of grassroots organizing. There are actually quite a few people who find it to be bothersome, quite a few people who are like, well, you know, I have better things to do. I'd rather take selfies and i rather post about jokes and i rather use my time to enjoy life, right? Um, that's how it's been described to me. Like, you know, why would I want to organize when there's all these other things and I don't see anything changing and all this other stuff. So let's dial it back. Let's come right back here to New Haven. Recently, a uh, young man, Randy Cox, was brutalized by NHPD. I mean, this thing was egregious. They literally tossed this kid around the back of a paddy wagon. He looked like a ping pong, right? He looked like one of those bubblegum balls when they're coming down in the machine. And, you know, the sad part, this is one of the cases that we know about. So what about the cases we do not know about? What about all the times that our black and brown people have been brutalized and nothing is said. Well, let me tell you, that is just one example 
of many reasons why organizing matters. You know who else organized a lot? And if it wasn't for them, really and truly, you know, where would we be? That would be the slaves. If the slaves were happy with being slaves, now mind you, even though our friend Frederick Douglass wrote a great piece titled, What Does, well, I probably get the word in wrong, so don't come for me. What does the 4th of July mean to the slaves, right? And in this, I'm sorry, while I'm here, I'll look it up. Um, I don't know it offhand. I do know of it. So, so don't come for me. I didn't revise the whole thing. But, in you know, in synopsis of it, he's basically asking you, you know, why do we as black and brown people, why do we care about this thing, this thing that's called independence, when it doesn't refer to us? Because you have to remember at the same time that there was a declaration of independence, right? We still had our people working on the field. So while they're celebrating and toasting and high-fiving, everybody's happy with everybody, we're still on the field, you know? I mean, how do you, how do you go past that? And... I guess the other question is, what is this one? You know, how do you move forward? Because, you know, I'm pausing every now and again because I'm trying to search for this thing here as well. But what I what I'm asking you is, is that do you really feel after all that was done? You know, ah, here it is. I just wanted to make sure I. I title it correctly. So Frederick Douglass's piece, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, right? He's really challenging this notion. So I want to read some of this to you. Okay, you ready? Fellow citizens, pardon me. Allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? Now, let's put this in perspective. These are excerpts from a speech on the meaning of the Fourth of July, delivered by Patrick Douglas in Rochester, New York, July 5th, 1852, okay? Um, what have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? And am I, therefore, called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us. All right, yo, let's pause right there. Let's stop right there. You hear what the man's saying? This is the day after the 4th of July. This is in 1852, okay? We're not talking about the 5th of July in 1776. That's two different dates. That should tell you something. That should tell you from the date of declaration till then, even till then, where was our freedom? But guess what? We were not free. We were packing cotton. We were cleaning houses. We were doing all these other things except being independent. All right, let's continue. What to God, both for your sakes and ours, that an affirmative answer could be truly, truthfully returned to these questions. 
then would my task be light and my burden be easy and delightful? Okay. He goes on to say, but such is not the state of the case. I say it with a sad sense of the disparity between us. I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary. Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, independence, bequeathed by your fathers, is shared by you, not by me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. Man not lying. The man is not lying, right? Is the 4th of July, and this is the question to my black and brown people, is it really ours? Do we have a part in that? And my answer to you is no. It is not ours. We are not free. Do you not see this? We have people fleeing countries, right? They're leaving the same country that was invaded, controlled, managed, handle, whatever word that you feel is best for this, by America. Look at Latin America, Central and South America. You feel these people just leaving the countries they grew up in and all that they know because they're bored. Do you think West Indians leave their countries because they're bored? Do you think that Africans and Indians travel miles? Have you ever seen how long those flights are? I thought my flight was long. But there's a reason for that, okay? There's a big, big reason for that. And the reason is, is because they're trying to find a way out of their hardship. And because we so ignorantly follow this American dream, and we ignorantly feel that there are white people, that all white people will respect us, accept us, treat us equally, understand us. We foolishly go into this nonsense and we get enthrapped into their world. And next thing you know, we're having to face our melanin versus their way. Okay? In other words, there comes a point for any black or brown person, you could admit it or you could keep it to yourself. But at some point, you're going to face off with your skin. At some point, you're going to sit there and you're going to say, how much am I going to represent what this is? You're going to do it. You don't want to admit that you're going to do it. I get it. But you are going to do it. And you're going to do it because that is the fabric of who we are. That is the core of how we became. See, we were... Uh, what's the term here? Groomed very early. Right? Remember, we are descendants of. We're not purebred. None of us are purebred anymore. Okay? I don't care the whitest white, the darkest dark. We're not purebred. There's too much commingling. There's too much of that happening. You're not saying that's bad, but we're just not purebred. So really, when you look at it from that perspective, this is something that should mean a lot for all of us. Yet. It only matters to a few. And yet we talk about progress. Yet we say things like diversity, equity, inclusivity. We say all these big words. We, we pride ourselves in all this. 
and what really changes. Good example, right here in New Haven, one of the epitomes of white privilege, the backbone of white supremacy in the area is yet to be held accountable. And no, I'm not talking about the police, them too. I'm talking about Yale. How is it that after surviving COVID, so many of us ignore or deny the um, impact that would have in terms of taxing yield? Do you realize what will happen? Right now, the city of New Haven is throwing itself a pity party because after they were held accountable, they now have to pay Randy Cox six, you know, Sorry, they have to pay Randy Cox $45 million. Um, I was going to say a different number, but because the number I wanted for him was way higher than that. But that's all right. We'll just move with what we got. You know, they have to pay him 45 and now they're throwing themselves a pity party because they need $16 million. Oh, that sounds like a personal problem. That sounds like, you know, the city of New Haven really needs to face itself. That sounds like we need to do a better job of holding these people accountable, right? Because don't get so comfortable that all you do is apply for funds to get over it. That's ridiculous, right? There should be a mass cleaning of the police department happening right now, but it's not going to happen. They're going to do whatever they need to do at that moment. They will do to the extent that they are required. That's why we haven't taxed Yale yet, because the state of Connecticut has not been presented with enough demand for that to happen. It's a doable situation, but it will require the people, us, saying enough is enough. Now, let me read some more here from our friend, Frederick Douglass. My subject then, fellow citizens, is American slavery. I shall see this day and its popular characteristics from the slave's point of view. Standing there identified with the American bondman, making his wrongs mine, I do not hesitate to declare with all my soul that the character and conduct of this nation never looked blacker to me than on this 4th of July. Hmm. That's a tall statement there, Fred. You're talking truth. You're talking truth. And that's true till today. Let me go on. Whether we turn to the declarations of the past or to the professions of the present, the conduct of the nation seems equally hideous and revolting. Guess what, Fred? I know you're probably rolling over as I read your speech because you and I both know not much change. Let me go on. America is false to the past, false to the present, and solemnly binds herself to be false to the future, right? Standing with God and the crushed and bleeding slave on this occasion, I will, in the name of humanity, which is outrage, in the name of liberty, which is fettered, in the name of the Constitution and the Bible, which are disregarded and trampled upon, dare to call in question and to denounce with all emphasis that I can command, everything that serves to perpetuate slavery, the great sin and shame of America. I will not equivate, I mispronounced that word, don't come from me, J1. 
um, I will not excuse. I will use the severest language I can command. Well, hold up. Let's pause right there. So let's pause for a course. So I'm reading here. What is to the slave the 4th of July by our friend Frederick Douglass? The speech, excerpts from his speech. See that last part right there? I will use the severest language I can command. That's big in the dance. I'm going to tell you why. What up, Jay Warren? By the way, I see you. I see you. Um, thank you for joining in. Uh, here's the thing. We say, we say as black and brown people, we want to change this. We want to change that. Interestingly, hear what this man just said. He's basically telling them, I am denouncing this 4th of July. This speech I'm reading, for those who just now came on, that actual speech, What to the Slave is the 4th of July, happened in 1852. July 5th, 1852. Right? So when you look at it from that perspective, this is not like the day after the declaration. This is not the week, the month, no. This is so many years later. And here comes Frederick Douglass with his fur and all. And he was looking sharp, right? Let me tell you, my boy was looking sharp. He was always a sharp dresser. And he's basically telling you all, he's saying to white supremacy, he's saying to the colonizers, he's saying to the slave catchers, he's saying to the Sambos, the sellers, to everybody who believes that they're independent, who bought the bullshit, look, I'm going to use the severest language I can, and I'm going to tell you all about yourself. And he damn right. He's damn right, right? All right, let me reread that last line. It's a big, big, big line. I will use the severest language I can command, and yet no, not one word shall escape me that any man whose judgment is not blinded by prejudice or who is not at heart a slaveholder shall not confess to be right and just. That's right. That's right. All right. Let's see what else he says here. But I fancy I hear some, one of my audience say, it is just in this circumstance that you and your brother abortionalists fail to make favorable impression on the public mind. Would you argue more and denounce less? Would you persuade more and rebuke less? Your course would be much more likely to succeed. But I submit where all is plain, there is nothing to be argued. What point in anti-slavery creed would you have me argue? On what branch of the subject do the people of this country need light? So here he's calling them out, right? You invite the man to talk at this independence, whatever you want to call it, in Rochester, New York. This is in 1852, July 5th. Frederick shows up. He's looking around. He's probably like, what the fuck? You know, y'all saying this is independence, but I still see slaves. So what is this? And why should I acknowledge it? Right? So let's go on. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could I reach the nation's ear, I would today put a fiery stream of biting ridicule blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For is not light 
that is needed, but fire. It is not gentle shower, but thunder. He's right. He's absolutely right. So what he's saying there, right? Y'all are trying to tell me, me who's standing here on 18, July 5th, 1852, you looking around and you saying to me as a black man, I should be good with this. When to my left and right, their brothers and sisters are slaves. They're still slaves. But you want me to show up here at this thing and talk about how great independence is? Frederick Douglass is like, nah, fuck that. Let's go on. Right? We need the storm, the, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed. And its crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. Hold up. Let me pause right there. Now, let me tell you something. In my time, I cannot begin to tell you how many times I have been critiqued by my own black and brown people. CJ, why are you saying so? CJ, don't find, you know, CJ, don't think, you know, and then I start the sound of black and brown. And now they eye roll in even more because they're like, oh God, here she goes with her rants. But is it really rants? Or is it that I speak how I feel and you speak like you yield? Is it that I'm emotional or is it that you are complacent, right? Okay. And here's the irony. Just like he said, let me, let me rewind that line right there. That's a big, big line in the dance. That is a big line because let me tell you something about them churchy people, right? Hold on. I'm, I'm going to get going here with that, right? The churchy people will sit there. And critique you using the Bible and say, this and this is not in the Bible. It's so funny because I laugh. The Bible is based on a poor man. It includes stories about, you know, sex workers, thieves, orphans, immigrants. Sounds familiar? It's so interesting what the Bible is, but even more interesting how it's used. So let me re-say that line right there, the big line in the dance. This is the big line before he goes into the bigger one, right? So I want you all to pay attention to how this man, you have to appreciate good writing, right? He builds the narrative very quickly. He's not stolen, you know, you got to be able to do that pretty fluidly. That's a skill. But he sets down his words strongly enough that he doesn't need to say a lot to have that impression. He correlates the climate that he's in in Rochester, New York on July 5th, 1852 with the weather. Because he's saying, y'all expect me to come here and act like it's nice and everything outside and nothing's wrong and then you all want to sit there and be complacent right and watch this all happen and say nothing 
And Frederick is saying, I'm not getting down with that. It is what it is. And I'm going to speak how I feel. And I'm going to let you know that while you are criticizing me and while you're thinking strongly against me, you are in fact being hypocritical against yourself, against the nation, and against God. That's a mic drop moment. But he went on. Here we go. What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham, your boasted liberty, an unholy license, your national greatness, swelling vanity, your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless, your denunciations of tyrant brass fronted impotence, your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery, your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, are to him mere bombast, fraud, deceit, empathy, hypocrisy, and pity. Oh, I mispronounced that word. Don't come for me. A thin veil to cover up crimes, which would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation on earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. Well, let me tell you something, right? Again, pay attention to where it is. July 5th, 1852. And he basically came out and say, you know what? I don't give a fuck about your 4th of July. And here's why. And I'm going to add to that. I'm going to tell you why we as black and brown people will never respect your 4th of July. That's what he did. Okay? Because let me tell you something in case you missed it. Those words are true to this day. Right? They're true. Very, very true. Right? So he goes on. Go where you may, search where you will, roam through all the monarchies and despotisms of the old world. Travel through South America. Search out every abuse. And when you have found the last layer of facts by the side of the everyday practices of this nation, and you will say with me that for revolution, revolu- revolting, good Lord, for revolting barbarity and shameless hypocrisy, American reigns without a rival. Bro, the man is not wrong. It's true to this day. It's true to this day. Let me tell you something. This country right here is so hypocritical. I just mispronounced a few words. I'll own it. So what? I'm not perfect, and I'm reading on the fly, right? I read this before, but I haven't read it in a while. But where does that invisible standard come from? Not from me, right? But that is what we as black and brown people on a daily basis have to live up to. And this man is saying, how dare you come here and tell us to respect this shit, right? Go see what you did in South America and come back and tell me if that's not bullshit. 
That's the translation for that line. Let's go on. The church of this country is not only indifferent to the wrongs of the slave. Boy, wait now. Cause for a cause. That's a big line. Let me say it again. The church of this country is not only indifferent to the wrongs of the slave. Let me tell you something. For you to understand, if you don't get it, why he just said that, and if you just clutched your pearls, okay? If that just made you gasp, oh, my God, right? You have to really do your research. I said this to you all before. The Bible is a book of parables based on a poor man, orphans, prostitutes, basically every criminal you could think of and some more, okay? Right? It gets creative in there. But somehow that book got translated into a doctrine that will be used to define our existence and has had its share to support slavery. Okay? This is why he's calling out the church. Because, you see, you have to remember back then, right, this is why Queen Elizabeth and England and all of them, there's just all this protesting and everything else happening to get that on. Why do we need kings and queens anymore? If we said we're not doing all of that, why do we need all of that? If the people are electing the government, right? Well, here's the thing. Way back when in Frederick's time, you know, uh, take, for example, with Columbus. Part of the reason why Columbus was so blighted is because he didn't have the support of the church. If he had a couple, you know, priests who were more supportive, they would have put in a good word with, like, Isabella and Ferdinand and, you know, helped him with his reputation. But he was not someone who had that type of reach. You see, back then, the privilege was when the priest could identify you in the crowd. If you're walking on the street and the priest could look at you and say, oh, that's, um, that's J1 Carter. That meant that you know that priest. That meant that you were the creme de la creme of society, society sorry. right? Um, and so what Frederick Douglass is saying here, right, if we're going to talk about independence, he's basically calling out the different layers which affect our independence, right? One of them is, I mean, there's a whole, whole bunch of them, but one of them is hypocrisy, right? And we have to realize that that was so true then, but it's still true now. Case in point, just this morning I was talking to a friend of mine and saying to him, I cannot believe that Trump is leading the census. That boggles my mind for about five minutes. Now, he laughed because he knows how I feel toward Trump. And he was just like, yeah, the census is never going to win that. He was very confident in that. Now, when you look at how Trump finessed his campaign, pay attention to who's in his portfolio. Of course, he's going to have religious leaders in there. That's a typical response politically. It's a power response. It's a, oh, yeah, I have money, and I have the churchy people, and I have the leaders. It's a big thing, right? All right, let's go on. So he goes on to say, it actually takes sides with the oppressors, referring to the church. It, may, it has made itself the bulwark of American slavery and the shield of American slave hunters. Right? Imagine that. 
Are you praising God? I'm talking about everybody and forgiveness and love. But then you also helping the slave handlers. What the actual fuck? Like, are you serious? Right? But that's the hypocrisy of organized religion. Many of its most eloquent divines who stand as the very light of the church have shamelessly given the sanction of religion and the Bible to the whole slave system. What? What? You heard it yourself. He goes on to say, they have taught that man may probably be a slave. That the relation of master and slave is ordained of God. That to send back an escape bondman to his master is clearly the duty of all the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this horrible blasphemy is palmed off upon the world for Christianity. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm not telling you all don't believe. I didn't say that. I didn't tell you to go and denounce your pastor. I didn't tell you to stop going to church. I didn't say any of that. I'm saying open your eyes. Okay. Open your eyes. We have not progressed because we have been complacent. Okay. How could we feel proud of the alleged progress that we have claimed? After hearing something like that, you tell me. Again, again, I'll keep saying it so you understand it. This is being said on July 5th, 1852. Okay. America was proud of itself. It declared its independence in 1776, they say. Okay. In fact, you never know with these things because they conveniently pick the dates that suit them best, right? My point is this. It's not to say that Frederick was outside the office when they were signing the declaration and he gave a speech. It's not to say it was a day, a week, a month, a year. Years later, here he is calling it out and his weapon is his words. He isn't standing there with a Glock he isn't standing there with a knife. He didn't come with a posse. It was him, his fro, and his words. Okay? And he is basically saying, these are the things that are holding us back, but these are the things you, America, are so proud of. Right? Pay attention. In the declaration, in the anthem, references to God. Okay? This link between Christianity and patriotism. What is that? That's what he's saying. He's challenging your notion of power. He's saying to you, you all have combined these two things, but who really, really, really benefits? Okay? Right? And this is not someone who's just talking because he's bored. He wasn't just standing there. No, this is a freedom fighter, right? This is somebody who I dare say so many of you, you don't know, you don't know, and what you don't know, they will use against you. Let me tell you this. 
here's the one of the benefits of having to migrate to America and go through the process, as we call it. You have to learn history. Because when you go for your exam, for your residency, they're going to ask you questions on U.S. history. So whether you want to do or not, you're going to have to read this stuff. How you take it and what you do with it is a different story. Some of us do it past the test and leave it right where it was. And the rest of us figure out ways to handle that. Some of us use it as a means to be inspired in different ways. And then some of us use it as a means to learn more and to dig more. However you decided to take it, but you had to learn it. Let me go on. Frederick Gouas goes on to say, they convert the very name of religion into the engine of tyranny and barbarous cruelty and serve to confirm more infidels in this age than all the infidel writings of Thomas Paine, Voltaire, Wallenbrook put together have done. I said Voltaire. I was going to pronounce that guy's name. Can't stand him. Um, but you go read it and you'll figure out why. That was one of the books you have to read. Well, you don't have to do shit, but um, when you're studying, you know, political science, these are some of the names from <laughs> of um, esteemed writers that you are asked to study. But as he said, they're bullshit, right? These ministers make religion a cold and flinty-hearted thing having neither principles of right action nor balls of compassion. Let me pause right there. I'm going to say it again. I said it before. Where there's a lack of empathy, capitalism is very successful. For all y'all who like to challenge me and, and poke and do whatever the fuck you think is funny and hilarious about this shit, I hope one day you wake up and realize, right, all that time when you was trying to provoke my mind and you thought you were funny and whatever the fuck else you thought, you should have really contributed that time to educate yourself. And instead of making fun of me for what I know, how about you go try to figure out what I know and add to that? How about that? Right? Okay. They strip the love of God of its beauty and leave the throng of religion a huge, horrible, repulsive form. It is a religion for oppressors, tyrants, man-stealers, and thugs. It is not that pure and undefiled religion which is from above and which is first pure, then peaceable, easily to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, but a religion which favors the rich against the poor, which exalts the proud above the humble, which divides mankind into two classes, tyrants and slaves, which says to man in chains, stay there and to the oppressor, oppress on. It is a religion which may be professed and enjoyed by all the robbers and enslavers of mankind. It makes God a great respecter of person, denies his fatherhood of the race, and tramples in the dust the great truth of the brotherhood of man. So that's the illusion of equity that we are fed, right? And this is where religion plays its role. You see, my friends, what happens is politically, very conveniently, religion is stirred in. When the oppressor really wants you to follow their bullshit, they will find the religious leaders to sell that. Believe me. You see it over and over. It's the first tactical political move, right? You got to get some religious people involved. Because for the community, 
who you are aligned with in that sense will define their beliefs as well. Why? You're hearing the man talk about it right now. Oh, by the way, everything I just said, matter of fact, I didn't say it. Our friend Roderick Douglas just said it. He was calling out the then political reign, the then political power. Who do you think that was? It was the Republicans. So all you all who like to worship and idealize that shit, you need to do your research and also do your research on the link between slavery and religion and 4th of July. And then come back and we'll talk. I bet you won't find it so funny then because I'll tell you what, when your ancestors were being beaten, they weren't laughing. So when it comes to people glorifying this, you know, I just leave them where they're at because your ignorance is not going to be my shortfall. So let's go on. Americans, your Republican politics, not less than your Republican religion, are flagrantly inconsistent. Your boast of love of liberty, your superior civilization, and your pure Christianity, while the whole political power of the nation, as embodied in the two great political parties, is solemnly pledged to support and perpetuate the enslavement of three millions of your countrymen. He is damn right. He is damn right. He is calling it out. He is telling you all. He is saying it. He is telling you. Here's the link between this organized religion and the organized politics, okay? This two-party system is bullshit. Let me say it again for our friends who just entered the room. I am reading the excerpts from the speech that Frederick Douglass was invited to deliver. He was invited to speak at an event regarding Independence Day in Rochester, New York, back on July 5th, 1852. If you know your math, if you know the time, You'll know that this is after these gringos declared independence and were proud of himself. So far, he has called out religion more than once. So far, he's called out the Republican Party. He is challenging your view of equity. And he is directly calling out the link between this organized religion and our enslavement. And then he goes on to point out that all of this is being managed by a two-party system, which in truth... We could get even more jiggy with it. And I could tell you, especially back then, it should have been really a one-party system. Do your research. If you don't believe me, don't come for me. Go go do your research. Okay? Right? If you don't believe me, go do your research because the Democratic Party was born from the Republican Party. All right? That's like when, let me show you how that parallels religion real quick. You're waiting. You ready? That's like when Jesus said, Adam's so damn lonely. Let me go make him a partner. What did he do? He took a rib from where? Well, he didn't take it from McDonald's. And he didn't cook it on the grill. He took it from Adam and he made a woman. That's the same damn thing when people were challenging the Republican Party and saying they were too biased. By the way, my friends, right? We don't have enough time for me to dive into that one. But if you really want to talk some shit about how that happened, let me just tell you real fast, right? Back then, when those white people got tired of the Republican Party, which, by the way, has its roots in the Ku Klux Klan, CJ not making that up. That's facts. Those are the facts they don't want you to hear, right? That's the part they don't want you to really pay attention to because they want to glorify the supremacy, okay? A bunch of white people didn't like it, so they decided to organize against them. They will form their own party that will be later known as the Democratic Party. But notice who I said was doing it. 
What did Malcolm tell us about the white liberal? All right, let me continue reading. Let me continue reading. We're not ready for that today. Now, don't come for me with my pronunciation on some of these words either because some of these are, are kind of out there. <laughs> I'm going to try my best. I'm going to try my best in the heat. You hurl your anathemas at the crowned heads headed tyrants of Russia and Austria and pride yourselves on your democratic institution. Come on now, Freddie. While you yourselves consent to be mere tools and bodyguards of the tyrants of Virginia and Carolina. Why is he calling out Virginia and Carolina? Again, July 5th, 1852, while these people were, well, again, I mentioned this last time on the last episode about the food. You know, they, you have to look at the food of the time. So they were making their dry ass food, whatever the fuck. Actually, they didn't make shit. Our people was cooking their food and they were celebrating independence. That's, that's hypocrisy in action right there. This is 1852, my friends. Okay, he's calling it out. He's calling out Virginia and Carolina for a reason, because if you know your slave history, you'll know back then there was some shit going on back there. They were killing us. They were lynching us. You think they gather on for fireworks. Let me tell you something. Americans like to watch things in pain. These people used to gather on and watch slaves get whipped, tortured, defamed, insulted, you name it, they were entertained by it. Satan sells. That adds to the hypocrisy of their religious beliefs. All right, let's see what else Freddie's saying here. You invite your shoes, your shores of fugitives of oppressions from abroad, honor them with banquet, greet them with ovations, cheer them, toast them, salute them, protect them, and pour out your money to them like water. But the fugitives from your own land you advertise. Ooh. Ooh, Freddie. Hunt, arrest, shoot, and kill. You glorify in your refinement and your universal education, which you maintain a system as barbarous and dreadful as ever seen in the character of a nation. A system begun in avarice, supported in pride and perpetuated in cruelty. Hold on now. I have to take a breath. Do you hear what this man talking about? Do you all understand what he's saying? I, I don't think you all do. Come here. Come here. Do you really understand what he's talking about? And can you really say to yourself, things have changed? Again, again, this goes out to all of those who like to glorify these pagan holidays, the white man holidays, the white man ways. This goes out to all of those who feel they have to do it the white way, not the right way, right? Matter of fact, when I publish this, I might add a couple notes, okay? I add a couple notes here because you all need to understand your history. It saddens me when I see ignorance being glorified. It really, really saddens me. You know, I have learned with time to walk away from certain conversations. Why? Because I don't know which is sadder. Someone who sits blissfully in their ignorance or somebody who glorifies their blissful comfort in their ignorance. I'll tell you what. Here's the funny thing about me. A lot of men like to challenge me. I don't know if they're bored. I don't know if, you know, it's like a thing. I mean, some of my female friends consider that to be misogyny. Uh, some consider it to be narcissistic. Some just consider it be the case of the small penis. I don't give a fuck. 
if you want to challenge me on something like this, come correct, don't come at all. I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to entertain you. Because if you have nothing to add to the convo, why will I let for myself having it? Because I've had the lived experience of these men trying to browbeat me. It's so sad to watch these slaves these days. Really, really sad. You know, they don't know what they do. They don't know what they do. Let's see what else our friend Frederick says here. You shed tears over fallen Hungary. Pause. Right now, America is crying over the Ukraine. Let me continue. And make the sad story of her wrongs and the theme of your poet, statesmen, and orators till your gallant sons are ready to fly to arms to vindicate her against her oppressors. But in regard to the 10,000 wrongs of the American slave, you'll enforce the strictest silence and would hail him as an enemy of the nation who dares to make wrong things of public a subject. So what he's basically saying right there is just like we're doing right now, right here in America, we feel so bad for the Ukraine, but the police brutality goes on. Okay? I I don't know how else to explain that to you. I mean, uh, I'm rushing through this thing here because we have a few minutes left. So again, pardon my enunciation here on a couple things, but I'm trying to rush through this here. There's so much packed in here. It's crazy. It's crazy. Okay? It, it really is because it's crazy not in a batshit crazy, not in a, oh, my God, but more so in a, wow, nothing changed. What's sadder is there are more black and brown people now who are so ignorant to facts. They're blatantly complacent. They are proud and tall sambos. They are sitting here obliging, you know, and supporting white supremacy subliminally because they rather poke fun at, ignore, or don't play the truth to survive. It's a way of life. It's a way of life. Okay, the man is literally saying, he said it right there. It's the same shit happening right here, right now. Right here, right now. Right here, right now. We have America pining over the Ukraine. But so many of our brothers and sisters, black and brown brothers and sisters, are dying in prison. They're without housing. They're without food. But you don't give a fuck. They're criminals. That's how America talks. Even way back when, in 1852. Okay? If you didn't know any better and I was reading this to you, somebody might think he was talking about who. That's right. Orange man. Don't ask how he got support. Ask yourself why you're not stopping it. Don't ask yourself why he's so powerful. Ask yourself why you're admiring it. And you'll find your answer. Okay? When you admire and uplift this level of white supremacy, okay, whether you want to say it out loud or admit it out loud or whatever, deep down inside, you'll eventually have to face the fact that you just sold our justice away. Yes, you did. Okay? Let's go on a little more. You are all on fire at the mention of the liberty for France or for Ireland, but are as cold as an iceberg at the thought of liberty for the enslaved of America. You discourse eloquently 
on the dignity of labor. Yet, you sustain a system which in its very essence casts stigma upon labor. Correct is right. Correct is right. That's happening still today. Still today. Let me tell you something. I don't know where you were at during COVID. And I'm not saying the nurses and the doctors didn't deserve their credit. But what about all the patient transporters and the CNAs and the LPNs and the living aides, man, and the domestic workers? Oh, wait a minute. What about the fast food workers? Did you give them the same respect? The answer is no. Much less the postal service, our delivery men, transportation workers, or the refuge collectors. These people helped our economy, and there's so many more. They kept us going. Imagine if they all decided not to show up to work. What the fuck would have happened? What would have happened? Hmm? What do you think about that? What would have happened? Let's see what else he says here. You can bear your bosom to the storm of British artillery to throw off the three-penny tax on tea and yet wring the last hard-earned farthing from the grasp of the black laborers of your country. All right. We're about to close the podcast off. Trying to stay calm. (laughs) I'm trying to stay calm. Because for me, it's so thought-provoking. It's so many different adjectives I could use right here in this moment as I read this to you. But the biggest thing I want to say, what changed, man? What changed? Do you not see how what he said parallels to today? Now, here's the thing about speeches like this. When there's a speech, such as speeches by Frederick, Malcolm, and so many more, Sata, right? Fannie Mae, Ella, Martin, Right, Fidel, Jay, right? There are speeches, Huey P. Newton, Fred Hampton, I could go on, which, you know, may have been said then, but are still true today. See, this is the dichotomy of the Bible, because many people dispute it, because they say it doesn't relate to today, but depends on what eyes you're looking at it from, and how you absorb, right? However, Here's this man, not affiliated with the Bible, completely separate, and his speech on July 5th, 1852 is right on point with today in America in so many ways because America did not waste time to attend to the Ukraine. America needed to make sure they could guard the oil so they waged war, and they didn't give a fuck about who was displaced, okay? America took pride in its labor, except if it was black or brown. Because if that were true, then why is it so hard? Why are there so many obstacles faced by black and brown laborers to this day, both in terms of starting and maintaining their own business, as well as being fluid, in the workforce. Again, for those of you tuning in who just had a good time on the 4th of July, took your pictures, you all had all the colors and shit, and you're proud of that. I'm glad that's what you did for you. 
But don't come for me because I denounced that flag and that day. I do not see how it befits me. I do not see how it has benefited us as a people. And I challenge that we are 